Blog Talk Radio. Stephen B's Media Production is a part of the Shellcaster Network. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ by members of the Churches of Christ. With your host, Stevie R. Butler. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Good evening. Thank you for tuning in to the Gospel Light Radio Show. I'm your host this evening, Stevie R. Butler, from the great state of North Carolina, with my co-host, Tim Bench, from the state of Texas, Glenn McMillian, from the state of Texas, Courtney Carruthers, from the state of Illinois, Steve Cordo, from the state of Illinois, Dr. Frank Washington, from the state of Florida, Clay Phillips, from the state of Georgia, Brian Christian Coleman from the state of New Jersey, and Robert Lee Johnson from the state of Florida. Ladies and gentlemen, we are grateful that you are tuning into our radio broadcast this evening. This radio show is brought to you by loving and faithful members of the Churches of Christ. We would ask you to take out your Bibles and study along with us. We have a very exciting show planned for your spiritual enlightenment and your edification. If you'd like to contact us while we're on the air this evening, just give me a call to the live show at 713-955-0508. If you have any questions or comments for any of my co-hosts, you can send your emails to my new email address, butlersteve1009 at yahoo.com, or you can give me a call, Steve B's Media Production, the Carolina Studio, at 910-491-6400. Now, again, this program is brought to you by members of the Churches of Christ. And if you need any assistance in locating a congregation in your area, please feel free to contact us. Now, folks, get out your Bibles and stay along with us here on the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Before we go into our program for this evening, I would ask that you would bow with me on a word of, in a word of prayer that we may thank God for this opportunity. Our most kind, gracious, loving, heavenly Father, the Father, Lord, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to go through the various activities of the day and placing it on our hearts that we are on this broadcast and we are prepared now to present a portion of your holy and divine word. Father, we pray that you will be with my co-host, Tim Bench and Clay Phillips on the show this evening as they break unto our listeners the bread of life. Also, we ask your blessings upon my co-host, Dr. Frank Washington, as he answers the questions that are on the hearts of so many. We pray that you will bless their families that support their efforts, that they may continue to sow the seed 
of the kingdom. Father, we pray that you will bless our listeners this evening who are tuning in this broadcast via Blog Talk Radio as well as through social media. We pray that they may listen well and that their hearts may be pricked as they consider their eternal stance before you and their soul salvation. And it will cause them to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Father, we thank you so much for sending your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, to die such a cruel death on Calvary's cross. For we recognize that without such a sacrifice, we would not have a hope of eternal life. Father, even now, we ask you to forgive us for the transgressions of our own heart. We know our flesh is weak, and we often fall short of thy will. Father, we pray that you will continue to bless us and keep us in love us all the days of our lives. And that we have been faithful unto death. Father, we pray that you will save us. For it's in Christ's name we do ask it all. Amen. You're listening to the Gospel Length Radio Show. Our first segment, my co-host Tim Bench, he serves with the Co-Oham Lane Church of Christ there in Abilene, Texas. He'll be making his proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And in the second segment of the broadcast, I have a question from my shout-out platform on social media. And my co-host, Dr. Frank Washington, he serves with the West Broward Church of Christ there in Plantation, Florida. He'll be answering our question in that segment. And then to close out the show, my co-host, uh, Clay Phillips, he serves as the evangelist for the Rose City Church of Christ there in Thomasville, Georgia. And he'll be making this proclamation of the gospel of Christ to close out the show. So open up your Bibles and open your minds and let's have a great show. After the break, the next voice you'll be that of my co-host, Tim Bench. Enjoy the show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Let it shine from 
Listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, my co host Tim Bench and his subject is It That Hard to Understand? Good evening. As Stevie mentioned, my name is Tim Bench and I'm calling in tonight from Abilene, Texas. And as always, we want to welcome all of our listeners to the Gospel Light Radio program. We know that we are fortunate to have listeners around the United States and around the globe, and we're thankful for each and every one, and we always hope that these lessons will be beneficial, educational, and scriptural uh, above all else. As Stevie stated, the title for my presentation tonight is, Is It That Hard to Understand?, Members of the Lord's Church have always argued that the Bible is very understandable and actually quite simple, contrary to what the world argues about the Bible. Some people have a tendency to blame God for all the religious confusion that exists among churches, and there are in fact some 30,000 separate Christian denominations globally. Yet the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. We know that Jesus prayed for unity among men when he said, That they may all be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me in John chapter 17, verse 21. And he also continues in John 7, verse 17, where Jesus says, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Jesus said, If you want to know, you will know. So we can come to a knowledge of God's teaching or God's doctrine. And Jesus would later add, in John chapter 8, verse 32, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And there is a condition that he stated one verse previously, in chapter 8, verse 31, where he says, If ye continue 
in my word. Truth is consistent with truth, and only error becomes inconsistent. And one might think by what men teach that the Bible says as many different things as there are different churches. Here's the question. Does the Bible say one thing to the Methodist church and one thing to the Baptist church and one thing to the Episcopal church and something entirely different to the churches of Christ? Who can believe that the Bible teaches all the different doctrines held and taught by man? And obviously it can't. Paul taught the same thing everywhere when he preached in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For this cause have I sent unto you Timothy, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Can you imagine Jesus preaching confusing or ambiguous or shifting doctrines as he moved from village to village and finally into Jerusalem. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul teaching one church of Christ one thing and something entirely different to another as he preached the Word of God? Consider the fact that whatever the Bible says to you, it says to me. And whatever it says to me, it says to you. This should be consistent with every person who takes the time to actually read the Bible. But we all are painfully aware this is not the case. Even many Christians, so-called Christians, have never once in their lifetime actually read the Bible that they claim to follow. We know that division runs rampant, and it spawns denominations, and it spawns false teachings and heresies. So the question tonight, is the Bible too difficult to understand for all mankind across different eras, and across different locations. As long as we stay in God's Word, we can know the truth, and we can know with certainty, with confidence, with resolve, that we know the truth. Some of the most debated and analyzed and dissected topics in religion today are addressed with perfect clarity within the pages of the infallible and holy book if only one will take the time to actually read the Bible for themselves, which is crystal clear on many of these topics. So tonight, I want us to look briefly at some of these examples. Is it really that hard to understand that God exists in the first place? The writer of Hebrews in chapter 3, verse 4 says, For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. It's not hard to understand when you see a house that that house was built by someone. Or when we see a watch, we can safely know that there was at one point a watch maker. And neither is it difficult to understand when we see the universe and this world with all of its intricacies that it was made by someone and that someone was and is God. Is it really that hard to understand and comprehend that Jesus is the Son of God, sent into this vile world to suffer and to die for our sins. This is very difficult for some people to understand, yet the New Testament and the very words of Jesus himself cannot be more direct as to his identity and his purpose. John chapter 10, verse 36, What about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own, 
and sent into the world. Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. John chapter 11, verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. John chapter 17, verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Mark chapter 14, verses 61 and 62. But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 17. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Finally, John chapter 11, verses 25, 26, and 27. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. What in these verses is difficult to understand? And if one claims to be a Christian, then one must, by definition, believe and accept what Jesus himself said upon this earth. Jesus was not nebulous about his mission or his identity. Is it really all that hard to understand that Jesus is the second person of the Godhead and was incarnated into this world to die upon the cross to save us from our sins? John chapter 1 verse 1 tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we know that Jesus is God, and Matthew quotes Isaiah, the prophet, to inform us, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. That appears in chapter 1, verse 23. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, this one who is God with us died for our sins. We read, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Is it really all that hard to understand that man's works are a part of the salvation process? And I want to emphasize that, a part of. While realizing that we are saved by God's grace, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Titus 2, 11, God's grace does not exclude man's obedience and man's obedient works. James, in fact, wrote, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. 
Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise, also, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works? Likewise, also was, I'm sorry, when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. That appears in chapter 2, verses 17 through 26. And it, again, it cannot be more clear that works are a part of our obedience and are likewise part of our salvation. Is it really all that hard to understand that baptism is prior to salvation? Jesus' words alone should end all discussion regarding this when he said in Mark 16, verse 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Yet many are still not satisfied with what Jesus said. Peter gives us confirmation when he responds to the Jews' question as to what they must do to be saved, where he says in Acts chapter 2, Verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But there are still some who quibble over the various aspects of this, and will try and find any excuse or rationale they can come up with to insist that baptism is either before one is saved or is not necessary at all. We know that Ananias told Saul, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Chapter 22, verse 16. Here's Peter as he writes the following, Which sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That appears in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Is it really all that hard to understand that in worship to God today we are to sing only psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? Ephesians chapter 5 verse 19, Paul says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. The melody is made in the heart while we sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. And in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, he again says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns 
and spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Is it really all that hard to understand that we are to pray to the Father through the mediatorship of our Lord Jesus Christ? In giving the model prayer or the ideal prayer, Jesus taught us to pray as follows. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus being the mediator is clearly taught also by Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, when he writes, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And Paul also says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This shows to whom and through whom we are to pray in the first place. This is repeated by Paul later, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. We read, Whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Even so, some of our brethren will claim that we can direct our prayers to Jesus himself. But Jesus said in John 16, verse 23, And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Is it really all that hard to understand who we are and who we are not to fellowship with? And this becomes one of the primary challenges and one of the topics that many churches flatly ignore today. John wrote the following, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not tell the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from sin. So we are in fellowship with God when we walk in the light, and when we walk in the light, we are also in fellowship with all those others who walk in the light. However, we are not to have fellowship with those who are not walking in the light. How do we know this? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, Paul says the following. He says specifically, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Again, these are verses that many Christians today will flatly ignore. When someone lives an immoral life, we do not have authority from God to fellowship with them. This appears very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, or when one sins against another and refuses to repent, according to Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. Here's the bottom line. If a person is divisive or destructive to the church, then we are to admonish them. And if they do not repent, then we are not to fellowship with them. Very simply, it's in Titus chapter 3, verse 10. A person who walks disorderly from God's word is not to be fellowshipped, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. And additionally, one who teaches doctrinal error is not to be 
fellowshipped. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, 2 Timothy 2, verses 16 and 18, and so on. And the one who fellowships the false teacher is not to be fellowshipped himself, according to 2 John chapter 9, verse 11. But again, if we try to apply these principles today, what are the accusations or the adjectives that will be foisted upon us? Oh, you're legalistic. Oh, you're judgmental. You think you're the only one going to heaven, etc. When we are trying to do exactly what the Bible says for us to do. All of these things that we've talked about briefly tonight and many others are really not all that hard to understand. The Bible itself is not hard to understand. What God demands of us and what God expects of us is not difficult to understand. Those who decide that the Christian life is too challenging or too difficult or too sacrificial and too much of a cross to bear, they may claim that difficulty and ambiguity abounds in the New Testament, but as we've read, that simply is not the case. Non-Christians and often enough actual Christians simply choose to not abide by those rules. They simply ignore what the New Testament very clearly says, and then they choose to live as they see fit. So we disregard them to our own destruction. In closing tonight, a couple of questions for all of our listeners, and this applies to all of us, myself included. Are we ignoring or are we delaying obedience to the Word of God? Each of us, every day, whether it be at work or on television or at the store or even from our own family, our own friends, we are bombarded by a litany of religious opinions and interpretations and dogmas and practices and opinions. And our heads can spin from the dozens of practices and doctrines that we may come in contact with. But tonight, there is one simple way to filter through all this confusion. One simple way to sort out what is truth and what is not. And tonight, we can clarify the status of our beliefs and the status of our soul and the status of our salvation. And here's that question. Is what you believe... And is how you live, is your relationship with Almighty God based upon what the world says, or is it based upon what the Holy Book says and commands and ordains in stunningly clear and direct language? What God expects is not hard to understand. What is truly hard to understand are people who knowingly and willingly and grudgingly resist the loving embrace and instruction of their Heavenly Father. In closing tonight, the words of our Holy Father, they are not tricky. They are not unfathomable. And each of our eternal salvations depend on our obedience to that word. This concludes my segment tonight. As always, again, we want to thank all of our listeners, wherever you may be across the globe, And we always welcome comments. We always welcome questions from any of our listeners. You can email those to us. You can send that to us on Facebook. Whatever approach is is the most uh, convenient for you. We, We want to stand prepared to answer questions and address 
things that may be proving to be stumbling blocks for our listeners at any time. So again, thank you so much for joining us tonight uh, for this presentation on the Gospel Light Radio Show, and have a wonderful evening. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Thinking about what you've done for me in my life I just want to say what you really mean to me You're my everything, my joy and peace You're the reason why I sing Lord, I don't deserve anything you give me So I just gotta say thank you oh, For tonight, for your love and grace So I just gotta tell you this mm-hmm. I will always You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Is your congregation in need of lending for a building or expansion project? As your partner and advocate, Diversified Financial Network will take the time to understand your unique situation and develop a financing solution that meets your specific needs. It's an exciting time for your congregation, and what you need is a company with expertise in church financing early in the process. Call us today at 1-866-513-6665 
or visit us at www.diversifiedfinancegroup.com. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Shout it out question. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. This is the portion of the broadcast where I have a question from my social media platform called Shout It Out. And we want to pose this question to my co-host, Dr. Frank Washington. How you doing, Brother Washington? I'm doing well there, Brother Stevie B. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Now, we have a real doozy for you on the broadcast this evening. Are you ready? <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, All right. This question is from an anonymous query. It's from the state of Virginia. And the question is, is it scriptural for a Christian to observe the Lord's Supper alone? What say you to this question? Well, that is a very uh, good question. And I'm thankful that the writer um, sent that question in from Virginia. Uh, It is a, a question that you don't hear. Well, you hear a little bit more of it now because of the things that's going on. Uh, in our society. But uh, first of all, I want to give thanks uh, for that message from uh, Tim Bench and uh, also the message after me from uh, Brother Clay Phillips. And I'm sure that message is going to be helpful to uh, your soul as well. But to answer this question, it's good to know the three broad areas of Bible study. And one of my mentors, I guess my greatest mentor is Dr. Tim Sensing from Abilene uh, Christian University. I've taken some courses under him, and he would ask the question to all of us. He would say, why do you preach? And his answer is probably the most profound answer that I've ever heard, and I use it myself when people ask me, why do you preach? Preaching is, in his words, preaching is the human proclamation of the theological witness of God found in a biblical text. Biblical text is important, found in a biblical text by means of the Spirit in the context of the contemporary audience to transfer believers or transform believers as a community into the image of Christ. Witnessing to the theology of biblical text in the contemporary context in order to transform the community of God into the image of Jesus Christ. So why do I say that? To answer this question, it's good to know the areas of Bible study. Number one, exegesis, which is the study of what the text meant during the time it was written to the audience it was written to. Next, homiletics is the study of communicating that message to today's world. Number three, hermeneutics, which is the bridge we cross from what the text meant so what the text means. Now, hermeneutics is the methodology that some of us use to interpret Scripture, and we all have a method um, to use, or we all have a method. Now, sometimes we are aware of our method and sometimes not, but there's one method that I hear often uh, from some COC folk that simply drives me wild, and that's the PPP method. The PPP method is the pocket, the picket, and the prove-it method. Brothers and sisters, this method has no place in the Christian study and teaching of God's word. The PPP method happens like this. You get into a discussion of the Bible, pull your Bible out of your pocket. Number three, you pick a verse that you can use to prove your point. Often, it does not matter whether the author's use or verse 
was intended to be used that way or not. You're just picking a verse and running all over the Bible, and your, your, your verses are all out of context. So if I can offer an example of this uh, method, it's when I'm, I'm sure you all remember preachers who dealt with drinking. Preachers everywhere search for scriptures for anti-alcohol verses. And the, the main one that comes up was in Colossians 2.21, touch not, taste not, handle not. This became the slogan of the day. In context, however, this passage has nothing about social drinking or drunkenness. Now, as a preacher, you know, does this not give us the right? It doesn't give us the right to grab any text and make it say whatever we want it to. In fact, Paul is making the exact opposite appeal in Colossians 2. Paul states that slogans such as touch not, taste not, and handle not will perish because we are not uh, under such ordinances if we are dead with Christ. Now, did you know there is a basic difference between an explorer and a tourist? The tourist travels quickly, stopping only to observe the highly noticeable or publicized points of interest. The explorer, on the other hand, takes his or her time to search out all that she or he can find. But there's too many of our brothers and sisters read the Bible like a tourist and then complain that their devotional times are all wasted and they're fruitless. So, therefore, let's take time to explore the Bible and explore uh, God's Word. So, now, back to the question. I was mentioning the three broad areas of Bible study, and I digress with hermeneutics. We all have presuppositions when it comes to Scripture, and some come to Scripture with uh, suspicions. Others come expect expectantly. Uh, the presuppositions of the hermeneutic, though, will control, always control, uh, interpretation. So, having introduced my introduction, here's my answer to the shouted-out question for this week's program. Communion, or as some say, Lord's Supper, is worship meant to memorialize Christ's sacrifice, Christ's suffering, and reflect the love and unity among the members of the body of Christ. Now, Scripture does reveal that the early church celebrated communion together as a group and not individually. Now, the Bible is silent, however, on the, of whether or not one can celebrate communion alone. When the Bible is silent, what we are left with is hermeneutic. And for me, I put uh, on my hermeneutical lenses of does it love God, uh, does it love my neighbor, does it honor God, and does it bring glory to God? Now, the Bible is, is silent on church building. The Bible is silent on being an abolitionist. So I use theological principles to guide practical wisdom. I hope you got that. Now, in every text on communion, you have it practiced in the community. However, there might arise a circumstance the Bible did not envision on lots of topics. Am I able to discern the Lord's body alone and the church is that body in 1 Corinthians 10? The answer is yes, I can do that. Do I want to do that? Many times, no. Can I do so? Um, if I'm in prison, yes, if the prison does not provide such opportunities, like a, a non-Christian foreign jail. Can I do so alone if I'm watching church online because of a national crisis or pandemic? Yes, you can. In virtual space, the opportunity for sanctified worship happens, but it should not 
be a routine or usual. Now, Scripture does not condemn Christians for staying home for legitimate reasons like being sick, uh, serious physical constraints, serious life-threatening situations, like if you have just received a transplant, you know, heart or kidney transplant, they will, the, the, the doctors will require that you stay away from people. Under those circumstances, legitimate circumstances, yes, you can stay at home and you can um, uh, worship and have communion alone. Or if we have a national disaster or pandemic, those are the, the, the reasons or legitimate reasons that one can take uh, the Lord's Supper uh, alone or with uh, family members. But it cannot be, it must be, uh, it must not be routine or usual, meaning every Sunday you're not going because you don't feel like it or every Sunday because of whatever the reason might be. It should be if you are sick, if you have a serious physical constraint, if there's serious life-threatening situations to your health and well-being or national disasters uh, or a, a pandemic. And that's my answer uh, for that great shouted-out question from Virginia. Thank you for listening. Be safe and stay in God's grip. Shout it out question. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. And if you miss me from singing, Sing and you can't find me nowhere, Glory. come on up to glory. glory. I'll be singing the faith. Yes, I will. And I know the Lord, He will grieve me over yonder. The glory. glory, I'll be praising the best. I'll be praising the best. Hey, Mr. Sanctity, I'll be I'll be praising up there. I'll be praising up there. I'll be praising up there. 
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now my co-host, Clay Phillips, and his subject, the Atheist Antidote. Good evening. Once again, I want to thank uh, Brother Tim and Doc for the marvelous job that they've done thus far in leading us in uh, the Word of God and answering the particular question. I am Brother Clay Lee Phillips, minister here at the Rose City Church of Christ here in Thomasville, Georgia. I want to thank Steve also for the marvelous job he's doing in helping us with evangelizing the Word of God by way of radio and also by Facebook. And so we're so glad and thankful for that. <clears throat> uh, I'd like for you to turn with me now to the book of Exodus. Chapter 3, I want to commence reading at verse 9 and terminate at verse 14. Exodus, chapter 3, commencing at verse 9 and terminate at verse 14. And we find these words written. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. Now, God is talking to Moses. Uh, and he's telling Moses, after Moses saw the burning bush, he said, I want you to understand something, Moses, here. Now, therefore, behold, the children of Israel are come unto me. Moses had totally forgot about him. And he was there for 40 years in the wilderness. This is where we're at now. And I have also seen the oppression there with the Egyptians. Oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And watch Moses. And Moses said unto God, Who am I? I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I to do that? We're talking about 400 years of slavery. And you want me? To go to Pharaoh. Now notice in verse number 12. And he said, certainly. I like God said, certainly. Now, not only certainly, he said, I want you to understand something, Moses. I will be with thee. I don't expect you to go along because I know you killed the man. I know you killed the man. You tried to um, redeem Israel on your own account. I know you tried to kill him, and you killed that man. And but he said, I want you to understand something. Notice in verse number twenty, he says, and he said, certainly I will be with thee. And then notice said, and this shall be a token unto thee. In other words, when you go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, I said, let my people go. 
I'm going to vindicate your killing. I'm going to vindicate your running for Pharaoh, scared and hiding out. I'm going to vindicate. So the word token here means to vindicate thee, that I have sent thee. In other words, you're going to know, Pharaoh's going to know, and Israel going to know that I sent you. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon the mountain, or this mountain. This where you're at now, you're going to serve on this mountain. Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, let me think now, let me think. When I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers have sent me unto you, and they shall say unto me, and they're going, to, they're going to challenge my theology. What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Now, this is where our lesson comes from. God said unto Moses, I am that I am. First of all, let me, let me remove your doubt. Let me be the antidote to your skepticism, your atheism. Being an atheist, let, let, let me remove that because now you think you've been living on your own for the last 40 years. You think you've been living on your own. You think that you've been taking care of yourself because you ran from Pharaoh and hid in the wilderness. You believe and actually think you are doing this on your own. But I wanted you to be there woo, in the wilderness because you need to know. The first 40 years, Moses was in the house of Pharaoh to learn uh, how to be a leader. Then the second 40 years, he was in the wilderness to learn how to be a shepherd. Now it's time for you to be the shepherd, Moses. So now let's, let's go to the front. It says, God said, I am. You tell him, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shall I say unto the children of Israel, I am have sent me unto you. Now, I am. Now, now, now the word, here the lesson is teaching that uh, Pharaoh is not going to believe you because Pharaoh is an atheist. But you're going to be the antidote. The word antidote actually comes from the word to uh, counteract poison. To kind of act poison. Now, when Moses and Israel are going to go through the wilderness, you remember now they're going to uh, have a insurrection against Moses, and God going to send snakes. And God told Moses to put a snake on a rod and a cross and look at the snake. So the even to this day, the uh, kind of action to poison is poison. So here we find uh, Moses, God is sending him to redeem his people from Pharaoh bondage. Now, but what is interesting here is that we live in a society now that needs to be redeemed from the bondage of atheism. Y'all better hear me here. I don't believe you hear me. Because it is uh, in atheism,
racism that America pretending that they are in love with God. But actually, they're not. They are serving the wrong God. Now, now let, me, let me say this. The Old Testament, now, now listen to me, listen to me. The Old Testament and the New Testament writers took for granted by the writing of, of the scripture that everybody, not everybody, but everybody knew and know that there's a God. <laughs> there is no scripture you can read that does not indicate that there is a God all the way from Genesis to Revelation. The Old Testament prophets, and they understood and had for, and took it for granted. We're not going to have any problems out of anybody denouncing the word of God. They, they just took it for granted. They, they assumed they just assume that, listen, uh, ain't nobody, because if you have to prove that there is a, that your God is God, if you have to come up with some kind of miracle, some kind of this, then your God is really not God. So you, you can't prove God. God is too powerful. He's too awesome for me to try to prove that there is a God. I don't have to try to prove that there's a God because God in his creation made us in his image. Let me tell you something. There's something on the inside of us. You better hear this. Woo! There's something on the inside of us that let us know that there is a God. Now, there is no such thing. Listen to me now. There is no such thing as a true atheist. I don't care what he say or what she says, they are not a true atheist. Because there's no way you can be a true atheist. Because even an atheist saying that we came from a big boom, it takes more faith than believe till we came from a big boom than to believe that Jesus Christ came up on Sunday. <laughs> Booyah! It takes more faith to believe the theory of the big boom theory. Hello? Now, let, 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 me, let me say that there is a subline. Listen to me now. Listen, listen. There is a subline. There is a surety in us that God has given us as mankind that is excellent, that help us understand. It is the grandeur, the beauty, as it inspires great admiration to us. For we must understand the subline of God, the antidote of God is found in us. In other words, when God made us, don't you know we have antibodies that will fight against any disease against his body, anything that come against his body? We have antibodies. God has placed in us an antidote that is in us that we know that there is a God. Even the heavens, whoo, Lord, help me out here. Even the heavens declare the glory of God. The dogs, the cats, the trees, the sun, the moon, everything declare the glory of God. 
So when man talk about now, let me let me get to my lesson here. Uh, I'm just, I, that was the that was the introduction, the opening to our lesson. Now let let us go. Now let us go to uh, Psalms. The chapter is fourteen. Everybody turn their Bible now to the Book of Psalms, and the chapter is fourteen. We're gonna look now here at uh, God dealing with us, and God placed us, what God has in us. That there's something you got inside of you, heavy dude. Know that there is a God. Now notice the psalmist right here, and David said in Psalms 14, verse one. Now let me give you. Uh, the homiletics of the text, and then we'll come back and give you some uh, exegesis. That'd be okay? Now, the homiletics of the text is number one, Roman number one, is the mor- the morality of atheism. The morality of atheism. In other words, we're going to look at the digression, what atheism ca- calls America, what atheism calls man. To, to say in your heart that there is no God, we need to look at the, the morality. We can see how evil man is becoming. Okay? Now, so that's in verse number one of, of Psalms 11, of Psalm chapter 14. Uh, the second homiletics is the distress of atheism. The distress of atheism. What do you mean, Brother Phillips? We're going to look at what is causing us to have the battles that we're fighting today. Why are we so against one another? Why are we doing some evil stuff to one another? Why are we not treating one another as God creatures? Number three, we're going to look at the conscience of the atheist. The conscience of the atheist. In other words, where is he informed then? Who informed you? Then number four, we're going to look at the deliverance of being an atheist, that God have a way to deliver us from being an atheist. Now, let's look at the text. If you will, look at the text. The Bible says, notice now, David said, the fool says in his heart, (laughs) there is no God. Anybody that says there is no God. Now, now let, me, let me say this. Here. First of all, if you talk to an atheist and they say that uh, they don't believe in God, they're a lie. They're lying. Because they might not believe in the true God, but they believe in a God. Because everybody, every man has some kind of, and, and they, will, they will live on this. Now, let me, let me say this here. There are two kinds of faith. There are two kinds of faith. Number one, there is a faith that uh, believes that. There is a faith that believes that. And then number two, there is a faith that believes in. So now the faith that believes that have evidence that the man is a burden. <laughs> for example, for example, Jesus Christ, we have in the history that there was a man named Jesus, and that he was resurrected, and that he came and changed the world. Now, anybody that reads the life in the, of the Bible, there's no way you can say that 
these individuals, the writers of the Bible, they scheme and put in the Bible to hide and try to create a God. Why? Because if you ask Abraham, Abraham will tell you, I lied. Don't ask me. You ask Moses, Moses will tell you, I killed a man. My stuff in there. <laughs> and David, David will tell you, now you know, now this is David saying, David, now y'all know I, I, I should have been in battle, but I was in bed. <laughs> Got up off the bed, went on the rooftop, looked, saw a beautiful woman. I wouldn't have put that in there. If I uh, just want to scheme and hide, I had a man killed for his wife. She got pregnant. I had him killed. And God sent the prophet to me and said, Thou to man. I wouldn't have put that there. Woo, look at God. So now, in other words, there's no way that anybody can say that the Bible is trying to scheme and trying to trick somebody to be a child of God or a Christian. Why? Because it's too much in here. You remember uh, Joseph's brother, Judah? The Bible says that he had uh, daughter-in-law and his daughter-in-law uh, married three of his sons. He said, no, no more. You got to go. And so the Bible says that when he went off, Thought he bought a prostitute, but he bought his daughter-in-law, and she was with child. And she said, give me your sword and give me all your manner. And then when he heard that she was praying, he said, let's kill her. And she said, you are the, ooh, good talk about it. You are the man. You, it's your child. So there's no way that you can say the Bible or the writers of the Bible tried to sting and convince or trick you in believing in God. Because Peter would have told you, y'all know that y'all know I'm not I'm, I'm not the man. I, I, I don't maybe curse you out. Well, Peter would tell you, don't maybe curse you out. So here, let's go back to our text. In Psalm 14, David said, A fool has said in his heart that there is no God. Now, in other words, this is the immorality of the atheist. If you remove, listen now, listen, if you remove God from the heart of man, David is telling you, you thought I was bad. Now understand this. David is saying this because he experienced it. Now God said that David is a man after my own heart. Woo! Now, if David is a man after God's own heart, and David wrote right here, a fool will say in his heart that there is no God. So David, now remember now, David is a man after the heart of God. In other words, what do you mean by David is a man after God's heart? Meaning that I want to know what God is thinking. I want to know what God wants me to do. I want to know about God. I, that, that's what I want to know. I, I, and so here we find that the, it, it, when men don't, do not have the base God, the true God, their morality uh, become dangerous. 
He says, so what he's saying here, he says man will become dangerous. A man that don't believe in God is a dangerous man. The fool have said in his heart, there is no God. Now, there's three things I want you to notice in the text. In verse number one. Number one, principle. Number two, right this time, origin. David talk about, and number three, consequences. So he talked about three things in verse number one. He talked about principles. He says, there is no God. In other words, he, I want you to understand when, when someone says, when a community says, when a when a religious says, or when a nation says there is no God, there is nothing to check who the God of mine, to check their sins. If that, that's why Hitler was so dangerous, because he said in his heart there is no God, but at the same time he believed in his own God himself. That is what happened to man. When in the Garden of Eden, what uh, Satan used to entrap Eve and Adam? The Bible says that the Bible speaks, Brother Phillips, that he, Satan said, God knows the day you eat of that tree that you shall be God's. The problem with America is everybody want to be God. Nobody want to accept God as a Savior. Nobody want to go deep down. There's something on the inside of us. Paul said that you had, the, the, the Jews had the oracles of God, but the Gentiles by nature ooh, 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 did what was in the law. Good God Almighty. They did what was in the law without the law because God had placed something inside of them that was more powerful than their bitter handwriting on the wall. <laughs> so David said, number one, he wants you to understand the principle. The principle is that if you do not have a God, there's nothing to check your sin. Then it says, he said, now why he said, he says, then number two, he says, they are corrupt. They have done abominable. Now, meaning that you will create anything. You have, you have the propensity to do evil and evil and evil. Let, 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 let me show you. Tell you about the Genesis. You know Genesis chapter 6. Let me, let me read that to you. Genesis 6, and verse number 1. And it came to pass that men began to multiply upon the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and that they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for he is also flesh. Don't, don't, get, don't, don't get it twisted now. You, you, you flesh. And you know what it says? Yet his days shall be never 120 years. There were giants in the earth in those days. Now, I, I, don't, I don't understand all this. I'm going to tell you now. I don't understand it. 
but I do know they were giants. And in other words, they, they were monstrosities. Man can do some serious things. He said, and also after that, when the sons of God saw the daughters of men, and they were, and they bore children of them, notice what it says, the same became mighty men which were of old men of renown. Then in verse number five, it says, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of the heart, there it is, was only evil continually. So in other words, back to David in Psalm 14, David said, I want you to understand that the fool says in the heart that there is no God, they have no principle. In other words, they have nothing to check their sin. Not only that, they are corrupt. They do have done abominable works. There's nothing, there's no evil that they will not do. Sometimes I say to myself, I say to myself, I can't believe that person done that. I can't believe she done that. I can't believe he done that. But listen, there is nothing. If you don't believe in God, there's nothing that will hinder you, that will corral you, that will control you if you don't have God. The antidote for man's sin. I'm going to show it to you. I can't get there. And then number three, the point in verse three, verse one, it says, there is none that doeth good. This is what, then it talks about the consequences. The consequences of ignoring and abolishing, trying to abolish God out of your life, to ignore God, the consequences is that there's nothing good can come out of it. I don't care who he is. I don't care who she thinks she is. I don't care how good they look. I don't care how uh, beautiful she is. If they don't have the mind of God, you better get up out of there as fast as possible. Woo! And then number two, number two, the, the second homiletic is the distress of atheism. Now this, this is this is going to be deep. Y'all stay with me. Stay with me. Don't 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 don't, don't tune off me now. The distress. So verse two and verse three is going to give us uh, some powerful stuff. Notice what it says. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. <laughs> oh, my goodness. God said. Now, 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 remember, it says he looked down from heaven to the children of men. So that, that means every man, every nation, all men, whatever race. It's not the one race, but whatever color you are, nationality you are. Notice what it says. And if there were any that did understand. God said, let me see if there's anybody out there that can understand. Because if you understand, you'll seek me. You'll seek God out. That's what it says. And seek God. So here we find. Then verse number eight, that means in verse number three, verse number three, they go along with verse two. Notice it says, 
they are all gone aside. Now, they all mean all nations, all kindreds, all people. Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, he, so David says they are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. Oh, good God, my. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now what, now what is this talking about here? This is talking about that man will create their own God. All down through history, you can find man will create their own God. So here we find the distress of man. What is the distress of man? The distress of man is, now, now, now hold on, hold on, hold on to your heart, evolution. Let me say that one more time. The distress of man is evolution. What have done more damage than critical racism theory taught in school is evolution. Evolution have destroyed mankind and destroying mankind. We all are under distress because of evolution. For Darwin to teach and to have a theory, why didn't somebody from Darwin start teaching the theory and try to implement it into the school system, not say, wait a minute, we didn't come from a monkey. I might look like a monkey. I might have hair like a monkey. But we all came from God. Now, now understand the stress. Now, when, and in Genesis chapter 11, Bible said, let the Bible speak, Brother Phillips, that God came down to see. Just like David said right here, God came down to see. Because man had thought building a tower up to the heavens. Man had built a tower up to the heavens. Some theologians say that maybe because if it flood again, we have somewhere to go. But God came down to see. And God says, there's nothing, they're all together. And there's nothing that they cannot do because they're all together. I would confuse their language. I would give them distress because they need it. They're thinking that they are their own gods. And so evolution, what evolution have done, it have created, it have created a barren, it has created a bad, it has created evil up, up between nationalities because we start thinking that uh, you better than somebody else. But when you stand before God at a judgment, David said, who said in his heart that there is no God? David said that. Now, let me say this. All races come from Adam and Eve. Listen, let me say that one time. All races come from Adam and Eve. Have you ever, somebody ever told you, walked up to you and said, go back where you came from? That's what I'm trying to do, honey. Mister, I'm trying to go back where I came from. Where did he come from? We came from where God created man. 
in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning, when, it, when you say in, it means came out of something. In the beginning came out of eternity that God started in the beginning and created this world. We didn't come from a monkey. We came from the creation of God. And, and sometimes I, I, just, I just wish that, that uh, uh, people, other people, I don't want to get too, you know, I don't want you to think I'm racist. But let me say this. I do recognize that the stress of racism have place on America, have place on the world, have place on mankind. And we believe, and there are uh, so-called Christians, even members of the body of Christ, church of Christ, right now, at this moment, we are separated because of race. And we think we're going to heaven. There are I was asked by a young man one time, he said, if, if the white church and black church would come together, how many do you think you would lose? I said, what do you mean? We're not going to lose any. He said, well, we, we probably going to lose half our members. Why? Because they don't want to worship with the black folks. My God, where do you think you're going to have that? Where do you think they're going to be at? You better hear me when I say up here, as my grandmother tell me. Boy, you better hear me when I say when you stand before God to judgment, you, you're not going to be black or white. It's going to be right or wrong. And, and there's nothing, Church of Christ, we're good at, at telling folks they don't die and go to hell if they remember the Church of Christ. Woo! We're good at telling folks you can't have this in the church. I'll call the preacher heaven. And I'll call We're good at fussing about uh, theology and a lot of, but when it comes down to living it, tell me that you're a Christian and then you are uh, racist, well, you black or white. Uh, let me show it to you then. Y'all have y'all in there. Okay, I'm going to go to New Testament. New Testament writer, uh, uh, they took it for granted. They took it for granted that you was going to accept Jesus as Jesus. So let's go to the New Testament. Ephesians. Everybody turn the Bible now to Ephesians uh, chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Everybody turn the Bible now to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, the, the most uh, segregated church in America, I believe, is the Church of Christ. I, I'm talking to us. You want to talk to everybody else? I said the most segregated church in the world is the Church of Christ. If you go to the Church of Christ, most of us is going to be black or white. Then you might have a few blacks in there. Then you might have a few whites in there. But the most segregated, I guarantee told you, Pastor, this Sunday, visit the Church of Christ, and I promise you, most of them are going to be all white, all black. And we going around saying we are the body of Christ. Shut up if you're not going to do what God asks. Ooh. On the atheist, we'll say that. Distract. Now turn the Bible now to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and the verse 11. I'm trying to read, I, I would read all of it, but it means kind of my time uh, looking pretty good here. So let me, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, and we find these words written. 
Wherefore, remember that ye been in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called on circumcision. Now, you remember when Jesus came, <laughs> the Pharisees were locked in on that, that circumcision. And, we're gonna read, and you said about the cat, we're going to learn that whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, it not, doesn't matter anymore. We have to be baptized in the Christ. It says, by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hand. In other words, this was a distinctive barrier between the Gentile and the Jews. Verse 12 says, that at that time you were without Christ. In other words, he said, I want you to understand. You were without Christ, being alien from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of the promise having no hope and being without God in the world. So number one, you without Christ. Number two, they without God in the world. Then it says, but now, whoo, look here, look here, look. But now, in Christ Jesus, now I, I'm giving you the antidote for atheism. Just because you had a name, Church of Christ, don't mean that you are a true believer. That'll mean that you have you have that you you believe that. But you you, you believe that, the evidence, but you don't believe in. Let me say that one more time. You believe that, but you don't believe in. Believing in means that I trust God. That if black and white churches come together, that God is going to be satisfied. Because he said in his word, all men to come together. Let me go on that further. And sometimes we'll fall off, made nigh by the blood of Christ. How are we made close? How are we made close? By the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who have made, who have made both one, the Gentile. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I am not ashamed. See, that's why I'm preaching like this tonight. Now, shame of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God on the salvation to the Jew first, then to the Greek. My God, what's wrong with us? You're telling me, don't we talk about you, the body of Christ? Leave me alone. And have broken down the middle wall of petition between us, having abolished in the flesh the enmity, even the law commanded, contained the audience for to make in himself, in Christ, in Christ, make in himself plain one new man, so making peace. You, you, America will never have any peace until the church of Christ, the body of Christ. We are the world's problem. The body of Christ is the problem with the world. You want to know well, what, what is wrong with our society? Church of Christ, us, weasons, however you want to go back further in slavery, we are the problem. We are the one. Why, the, why our society is mocked up because of us. We need to come together. Jesus said, the world will know that you are my disciple by the love you share with one another. What's wrong with us? Okay, okay. Calm down, Brother Phillips. Calm down. Let's be look further then. And that he made 
that he might reconcile, that he might reconcile both under God in one body by the cross, having slain the image thereby, and came and preached peace unto you which are afar off, and to them that are not. Look at God. Can I read it? I'm going to read it. I'm going to read all of it, but let me read this. This is too good. This is some good stuff. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Listen, listen. He said, I want you to understand. You, you want to have access to the Father? You better start treating Clay E right. Clay E better start treating uh, Tim Bent right. We all better start working together right. Hello? Now, know what it says in verse number 19. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. We are the salt of the earth. And if the earth has lost its salt, it can't be seasoned. And that's why our schools are messed up, our churches are messed up, folks showing out at Walmart, folks can't go to the restaurant. It all bowed down on us to buy the price. I don't care what you say. You can get angry you want, you already ought to get angry. Then it says in verse number 20, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophet Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the buildings fit, framed together, groweth unto the holy temple of the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Don't you know we don't have another world? This is the only world we got. You walk around tomorrow. <laughs> okay, let me, let, let me show you that. Let me show you that. When God created man, he created man in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, to dwell on the earth. That's what Paul said. Let's listen to Paul. Let's listen to Paul. Acts chapter 17. Turn now. Acts chapter 17. And the verse is number uh, 22. Acts 17, if you will. Everybody turn the Bible down to Acts chapter 17. And I want to begin the reading at verse 22. Notice what Paul said here. Notice what Paul said here. He says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that ye are, in all things, ye are too superstitious. That was wrong with America. The reason why they're superstitious because the light is under a bush. The salt have lost its flavor. That's us, the body of Christ, the church of Christ. We need to get together or get to stepping. We need, I'm going to say it again. We need to get together or get to stepping. Quit telling for we the body of Christ. Be like the atheist. I know you believe. This it says in verse number 23, but as I pass by Behold your devotion. I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. <laughs> and it, it, I'm about to say that America, all over the world, everywhere, got an altar 
that says to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorant worship him, declare unto you, God that have made the world, that the creation is going to always be that God created this. Now, now the, 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 the apostles, the prophets, all the writers, remember now, they have assumed that you was going to believe this. That anything that, you know, white brothers in the church of Christ are going to be all the black brothers in the church of Christ and, and they ain't going to be worshiping together and what we ought to do is just all of us come together and have one church, one body. Uh, let, let the black preacher preach one Sunday, let the white preacher preach one, one Sunday, and let's keep preaching and let's keep worshiping and let's keep serving God. Let's show the world the light and the sound. Verse 24 says, and God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven. Lord of heaven and earth dwelleth not in temples made with hands. God not concerned about all that stuff y'all doing but with your hands. God ain't concerned about uh, all that mess that we doing in America. Arguing, fussing about this and that. Republicans and Democrats, you better be a child of God. Okay, okay. Calm down, preacher. Let the Bible speak, but neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything. <laughs> God don't need nothing from us. God, God need me to worship me. God don't need you. If you know, uh, when I turned fifty, I'm sixty-three now. I remember when I turned fifty. I told Rose to the Christ, I'm through begging y'all to come to service. Rose City members, if you don't want to come, don't come. I'm not begging you. I'm not following you. Uh, now I'm gonna the, the leadership gonna do what we're supposed to do as uh, being elders and deacons. But but there come a time. Jesus told the disciples, when you go into a city and they are willing to listen, preach. But if you go in and they're unworthy, shake the dust off your feet. A lot of people, I have shook the dust off my feet. Kin, folk, relatives, I don't care. When it comes down to the word of God, I'm shaking the dust off my feet and going to people that want to be saved. I'm trying to go to heaven. Uh, 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 okay, 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 okay. The antidote to atheism is truth. That's what I'm doing today. I'm, 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 I'm giving you your vaccine. It's gonna be painful. Verse 26 says, "And have made of one blood, one blood, Mexican Indians, one blood, white, black, Chinese, one blood." Are you reading the same Bible I'm reading? Now, let me ask you one more time. I want to know, are you reading the same Bible I'm reading? Because something, something is not right here. Somebody has lost their entire mind. So you can't be reading the same Bible. Because I read, it says, I made one blood, all nations, men to dwell upon the face of the earth. The earth is our dwelling place. We don't have nowhere else that we can live. You've got a billion and trillions and billions and trillions and trillions miles. And that's just one galaxy. 
<laughs> and man talking about uh, we finna explore space. What? Really? You ain't got but seventy years to live, man. Okay, okay. We don't about that. And have determined the time before appointed and the boundaries of their habitation. God, I, you can, I made limits. But notice what it says in verse 27. That they should seek the Lord. That's, that, that's what you need to be seeking. Seek the Lord. Woo. If happening, they might feel after him and find him, though he be not for everyone of us. He's not far from us. He read here in the book. For in him, what? In him, let me say it one more time. In him, we live, we move, we have our very being. As certain also of your own self. Now, let's go back to Psalms and let me wrap this thing up. Psalm 14. Let me wrap this up. I'm, I'm trying to finish this thing up, but y'all know I can't finish nothing. My rose city, no, I never, I always have to come back and finish it up. But anyway, let's go to now the conscious of man, of food. Number one, uh, immorality, we go everywhere. And what the Bible says, in the last days, perilous times should come. Dangerous times should come. And that's what we're living in now. Why? Because uh, evolution, atheists that are teaching false doctrine. And then the conscious, verse 4, notice verse 4 of Psalm 14. And I'm not going to have time to read it because i like got about five minutes. It says, have all the works of iniquity, no knowledge. <laughs> he said, all that your guys are doing, you got you got all kind of telephones. See, I remember when I was a boy, we had we didn't have phones. My grandfather was the first one that got a telephone. I remember when I was a boy that and some of you all remember that too. Uh some of you all remember me at call. But anyway, when I was a boy, I remember that um we had what's called party line. You pick up the phone and somebody don't know the line because it was one line. See, I, I go all the way back there. I remember that. And, and I remember, but look now what God has done for us. I'm sitting here in my office at the Rose City Church of Christ in my office and, and talking to Brother Steve and, and talking to Tim and Doc and, and we just preaching the gospel our heart out. But look at what God has done for us. And so David asked the question <laughs> in verse 4. He said, have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? So it's not going to, you're going to be inexcusable, according to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. You're going to be without excuse. Why? Because God has placed something on the inside of us. He, he, he tells us, he says, you are informed. I want you to know, what, in other words, you are inexcusable. Then it says, he said, who eat up my people. Now let me explain that, eat up my people. Paul, the exegesis. It means uh, we have a, a gluttonous and uh, we uh, want everybody else to cater to us. 
See, that's what happened when you start thinking uh, you forget God because you want, you want to supersede, you want to conquer everybody else. You want everybody else to be your slave. You want everybody else to wash your car. You want everybody. See, America, we live in a society now that uh, most, of, most people don't cook anymore. My wife still cooks, thank God. We've been married 45 years. This October 22nd, 5 o'clock, will be 46 years. And she's been cooking. Now, we go out and eat. We, we enjoy uh, being catered to. But at the same time, we live in a society now that everybody thinks their rights is being uh, discarded. Is my right not to wear a mask? Whatever happened to a privilege of being in Christ, that Jesus died for your sins, whatever happened to that? That you couldn't save yourself. Paul said that we was dead, not sick in sin, but dead in sin. Paul said we're dead in sin. But Jesus Christ died on the cross. Then he died. I got to stop. <laughs> then he died. And so gluttony here means that they're gluttony and they're falling asleep. They're eating and they're drinking and they're falling asleep. All church people want to do now is they want to, and even folks tell me now, I ain't coming back to Brother Phil. I'm going to listen on the, on the TV, on the radio. I'm going to listen on, the, on the Facebook. I'm going to listen on YouTube. My God. Somewhere I read Hebrews chapter 10, 25, forsaken not the assembly of ourselves together as a matter of some is. Then it says, for if we willfully sin, there remaineth no more sacrifice for you. You can't just stay home. Brother, let me see. Okay, we understand that. We got protocol. We got face masks. We got social distance. We're taking temperatures. But you can't just stay home. Oh, you're going to stay home. My God, what's wrong with you? You ain't going to have a home. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father, I have many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I'm not going to prepare a mansion for you. Now go to the place, pray for you. Where I am, there ye may be also. That's my home. You must hear the gospel, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized, and that'll make you a member of the body of Christ. And then my God start learning to grow from being a baby on milk and start chewing some meat sometimes. May God bless you. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. It ain't easy. No. Sometimes it gets hard down here, Lord. Sometimes it gets rough. So rough, so rough. Sometimes it gets tough for me. 
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for tuning into our radio broadcast this evening. We certainly appreciate those who've been following our radio show on Blog Talk Radio, as well as those social media, Facebook Live. I want to thank my co-host, Tim Bench, for his lesson. Is it hard? Is it that hard to understand? Ladies and gentlemen, he laid out some fundamental facts that all Christians should know and understand. Great job tonight. Uh, from both my co-hosts and uh, Dr. Frank Washington. He answered our question as well regarding communion, taking communion alone. And since we're in this pandemic, that's a very relevant question uh, as far as the saints taking communion alone. That was a great uh, answer that uh, Dr. Frank gave. And Brother Clay Phillips, that brother, he preached tonight. Oh, he preached tonight. (laughs) He always does a great job, and we certainly appreciate his efforts here on the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just so thrilled to be able to bring you a weekly broadcast. And it is our prayer that the lessons that were given on the radio show tonight has been beneficial to your spiritual lives. And your relationship with the Lord has been strengthened because you're not only tuning in to this radio broadcast, but you've given yourself over to a study of God's Word. I'm your host, Stevie R. Butler, and I want to say on behalf of all of my co-hosts here on the Gospel Light Radio Show, we really do appreciate your love and support for these radio programs. Good night, everybody. God bless you. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Just like Jesus. 
Yeah. 